So we've been talking about life in the valley. We've been talking about uh, how we respond when certain things happen in life. We've talked about uh, betrayal. We talked about dealing with guilt last week. And today we're going to focus on really the biggie, I think, um, the, the one that causes the biggest valleys most of the time. We're going to talk about grief. And, uh, and grief, there, there's, I'm not a psychologist and uh, don't want to pretend to be, um, but through this journey of ministry, there's multiple things that I've learned about grief that I think are, are um, concretely true, right? Uh, and, and one is, is that there are many different things that create grief in our lives. We, we typically think about losing someone we love, which obviously is, is a big one and a, and a dominant one. But also, grief comes when we lose a job. Grief comes when we lose a relationship. Grief can even come when things change, whether it's at work or at home or in the church. Grief can show up. But I've also learned about grief is that not everybody grieves the same way, and that's okay. And the reality is, is what may cause you grief may not cause me grief, and what may cause me grief may not cause you grief, and, and that's okay as well. The other thing that I've learned is that everyone experiences it, even Jesus did. And Lazarus died, and, and in that classic two-word verse, Jesus wept. He was distraught. He was distraught when John the Baptist was beheaded. And so grief is one of those things that can tear us down so quickly. And, and the other thing that I've learned about grief or really any valley experience is that when we're first knocked into the valley, there, there is an initial emotional response that typically we act uncharacteristically of who we really are. In other words, the, the shock of the tsunami of the grief event is so big and so powerful that we're just overwhelmed by it and our emotions take over for a time. And so today I'm not really talking about that time. Uh, I'm talking about more about, okay, the tsunami's passed and we find ourselves in this valley. We don't know how we're going to get out or what we're supposed to do. And so today I, I want to talk about the spiritual response to grief when it becomes real and obvious that that's what's going on. So we're going to look at David, and uh, he's going to help us a lot, I think. So if you turn with me to Psalm chapter 13, or the 13th Psalm, said better. And the background of the story is very important, and, and most scholars believe that David was going through a very difficult time. Now, David was known as a man after God's own heart. And so David went on this journey of life, and when good things happened, David would sit down and write a song, and he would celebrate God and who God was, and so many of the Psalms are about that. Uh, when things were uh, heartbreaking for him, he would sit down and he would write a Psalm, or if he was angry, he would sit down and write a Psalm. And so uh, this event in Psalm, on the 13th Psalm, it's believed that it was the time in David's life when King Saul was chasing him down trying to kill him. Okay, so to understand the significance of that event, uh, David had been anointed by Samuel as the next king. The problem was the current king was not yet dead. 
right? And through a series of events, David became King Saul's primary general. He was the one that won all the battles. And he was a great warrior, and he led the army and did so well. And one day, he and Saul were riding into town after a victory, and the women began to sing about them. And the women said, Saul has, has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, some switch flipped in Saul's mind, and he became so irately jealous of David, he decided that David needed to die. So he dedicated his army to chase down his best general and kill him. And so David is fleeing for his life. He is homeless, living in caves. He has opportunity to kill Saul, but does not because he believes he was anointed by God just like he was, so he refused to kill him. And so out of this frustration and out of the anger and the hurt of that event, we get to the 13th Psalm, right? So if you turn with me, if you're not already there, I introduced it a long time, I know, 541. If you're using the Pew Bible, the 13th Psalm, David wrote this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. For he's been good to me. All right, so we have, and, and actually uh, the Hebrew word can be translated, uh, grief, uh, we'll see in a minute, um, David gives us, as a man after God's own heart, a picture of how to respond to grief, okay? So in the first two verses, uh, he uses the term how long four times, right? Back to back to back. It says, how long, O Lord, uh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow? That's also the word that can be grief. Have grief in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? And it's normal and it's typical, catch on to this, when you're in the, the clutches of grief to ask the question, why has God abandoned me? That's what David said. Why are you not paying attention? How come you're hiding your face? How come you're not noticing what's going on? How come it is I'm going through this, you, you anointed me to be king, and now you've turned your back on me? How is this possible? How is it possible that you've allowed this tragedy to come into my life and you're not even paying attention? You ever felt that way? You ever felt like, God, I'm going through this tragedy. It's like you don't even know. Are you paying attention? Are you really an all-knowing God that can keep up with everything? Because I'm really suffering down here, and it's like you don't even care. Can you not see what's going on? You see, that's how we typically deal with grief. We ask the question, why? Why am I having to go through this? God, I've been faithful to you. God, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. God, I, I've been pursuing you like I should. Why in the world am I having to suffer? Have I done something wrong? What is going on? And why have you abandoned me? 
You know, it's interesting, Jesus said something similar on the cross. Psalm 22.1, he quoted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow, and grief leads us to that road where we question, God, are you really paying attention to me? Do you really know how many hairs are on the top of my head? Do you really know when the sparrow falls? Because it really seems like you're not paying attention to what's going on here. And that's really what David was saying. Over a decade ago, we had a lady in our church uh, who died of cancer. And she had a a long journey of of fighting cancer and and she finally lost that battle. But she had a, a young daughter, a daughter who was about 10 years old. And so I was, after she had passed away, I was sitting down with the daughter, talking to her, trying to comfort her, uh, best I knew how. And she turned, and, and she had her head down the whole time. She stopped, she turned her head and looked, looked me straight in the eyes, and through tears in her eyes, she asked me this question. Why did God let my mom die of cancer? Well, here's what's going on in my little brain. I'm going through the Rolodex of all the great answers I could give, and there's not one for that question. And so I start to pray, and I pray, God, why didn't you let me be a football coach like I wanted to be? (laughs) Because there's absolutely nothing in the world that could prepare me for this moment. So you're going to have to give me something to say because I have no clue. So I looked her in the eyes and I said, you know what? I don't know. And I'm going to be honest, it kind of makes me mad. But there are two things I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt. The first one is I know God loves you. And I don't understand why we have to go through things even though he loves us but he loves you and I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I said, the second thing I know is that I love you. Your dad loves you. This church loves you. And though we don't understand, we're gonna be here for you to go through this time. I don't know if that was the right answer, but that's the one that came out of my mouth. But I I look at that moment and, and I realize, you know what, she was expressing what we all feel in the valley of grief. Why? Because we want it to make sense. We want it to make sense. And it just doesn't. And so we can camp out at why and we can drive ourselves crazy trying to figure out the whys and trying to understand. And I think that's what David was good. David was like, God, I'm doing what you called me to do. Why are you not listening to me? So David goes on. In the next two verses, he goes a different direction. He says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. David believed if God didn't do something, he was going to die. He believed that God needed to wake up 
and pay attention and see a situation or death was right around the corner. And the second thing that I want us to see about grief, and this is huge, okay? God sees reality through much different eyes than we see it. God sees reality through much different eyes than we see it. God knew David wasn't gonna die. God knew David was going to become king. God knew that David was going to build the kingdom of Israel to be the greatest it had ever been up to that point. God knew all that was going to happen, but all David could see was, I'm about to die. And his reality was, something's got to change because I'm about to be done. But God saw a bigger picture. And I think it's extremely important for us to realize as we go through the valley of grief, that there's something much bigger going on than us. Oh, that's hard. Because in the valley, it's really about me, or at least it feels like it should be. But see, it's in the valley that God says, listen, you're going through this valley. I know you hate it, but on the other side of this valley, there's something big. There's something much bigger than you that you're a part of, and I just need you to trust. But God, I don't want to trust. I went out of the valley. But spiritually, as we go through this journey of life, the truth is we connect, God to, to connect to God the best in the valley. It's just true. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is that way. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Old Testament guy named Job at this point. All right, you know Job's story. He lost everything and he lost his family. He lost his wealth and, and you read the story and it's all because God challenged Satan. It's really bizarre. I won't go into theology of that. But, but through it all, Job, Job started out and he was very patient and very strong and, and very determined to stay faithful to God. And he had some friends come into his life that said some really bizarre stuff and really got him thinking and going down the wrong road. And you get to the end of the book of Job's story, uh, the end of the book and the end of his story, and he decides to challenge God. He says, all right, God, that's it. I don't understand this. You've taken everything away from me. I've been a great guy. I've done what you wanted me to do. I've been faithful to my wife. I've been faithful to you. I've been everything you call this. I've kept the commands and you let this happen. And one of the most amazing and coolest events in all of scripture to me is God's response to Job. And in the Hebrew, it is really funny what God said. Because here's what God said. He came to Job, and Job had made this big complaint and made his case, and, and he said, God, you're, you're wrong in this, in allowing this to happen. And here's what God said to Job. He said, Job, do you remember when we, you and I sat down and decided how we were going to create the world together? And he said, oh, wait a minute. You weren't there. This is a paraphrase, but this is really what, what took place. And he said, Job, you remember that time that I was trying to make a decision and I didn't know what to do and I came to you and I said, Job, could you give me some advice? So wait a minute, I don't ask anybody's advice. Or maybe, and it's really fascinating, remember the time we sat down together and we created the crocodile 
And I don't know why he picked the crocodile. So you remember when we created the crocodile together? Oh, wait a minute, that was me, not you. And he goes through this whole thing about, you know, I, and basically, here's what God said. He said, Job, I'm God and you're not. And that was it. Job fell on his face and repented and said, you know what, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have said anything. And in the story, then Job's wealth is restored and his, he has a new family and all of that. But, but one of the things we, we forget is that God is not stuck in our current understanding of time. He sees reality, past, present, and future all at once. Now, if you want to figure that out, stay awake at night and try to figure that out because uh, my brain doesn't work that way. All right, but, but he sees past, present, and future all at one time. He sees stuff we don't see. And David said, I'm going to die. And God was like, no, you're not going to die. But you just don't know that yet. And so what we have to do in the valleys, we have to understand that this journey we're on is headed someplace. And we just don't know what it is. Wouldn't it be nice in the middle of the valley if you got a text from God and he said, all right, on June the 27th, this is going to be over, and here's what you're going to learn from it. My phone has never received one of those texts yet. <laughs> but he's up to something that we can't possibly understand. And I think that's where David ended up through this journey and this psalm, because in the last two verses, here's what he says. After all of that, you're not listening to me. I'm going to die if you don't do something. Verse 5. But I trust. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, for he's been good to me. So here's what David says I feel abandoned. I feel like you don't care. But here's all I know to do. I'm going to trust you. So I, I tried to imagine David's thinking through that process. And here's kind of what I think was going on. He began to relive his life story. And he remembered as a shepherd boy when a bear or a lion would come and attack the sheep and he would take his sling and kill them. He probably remembered the story when he stood in front of the giant Goliath and took the sling and killed him and then and hit him with the, with the rock and then beheaded him and became a hero. He probably remembered all of those battles that he was in and, and how dicey they were and how God led him to victory and how he won over and over again. And he began to relive his life and see all of the times that God has been faithful. And he stopped and he said to himself, you know what? This really stinks, but I trust you. Because you've never let me down before. It's always worked out for your good. It's always worked out right. I trust you. Now, you probably know this, and you may not. If you don't, uh, we are in the process of selling our house and moving up here on Sappho. And, um, and so part of moving, when you've been in a place in a long time, um, is that you uh, have a lot of junk. And so uh, one of the biggest challenges was cleaning out the attic. My son-in-law helped me get stuff out of the attic, and, and we made trips to the dump, and I'm just embarrassed to 
how many trips to the dump it took. Um, but there was a set of boxes that we had that Ladine and I had to sit and go through. Uh, and they'd been in the attic for 14 years. But we opened those boxes, and those boxes were a big part of our history. And we began to look at pictures. We saw pictures from Mejia, Texas, where I was the youth minister and saw some of those teenagers and, and knowing their stories and, and, and how they've grown up, but, but realizing how incredibly difficult time was there. I can't tell you how many times, literally, we did not know what we were going to eat. And the doorbell would ring and there'd be a bag of groceries on the porch. And whoever left it was gone. Fast forward and, and we see pictures of people who are great saints, who are godly people that love Jesus so deeply that the world will never know of them. And we move forward to the time in Austin, Texas, where we started a new church. And all the struggles that went with that, and, and week after week after week, how we didn't know how we were going to make it financially as a congregation, and every week God was faithful with just what we needed. Never more, but just what we needed. And then there was the time right before we moved here when we looked at the pictures of our kids, and, and we saw a time when our son was diagnosed with a cyst on the base of his brain. How hopeless life was then. And how God miraculously stepped in and took it away. And then picture after picture and story after story, I mean, literally we cried, we, and it dawned on us, God has been so good. You see, I think one of the best things we do in the valley is we stop and remember. Please don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't hurt in the valley. I'm not saying it shouldn't bother you. I'm not saying you shouldn't be sad. What I am saying, just like David, remember how good God has been. Remember how faithful and true he's been. Remember the promises that he's kept. Remember how he's come through. And so instead of, of sitting and, and being so overcome by grief, we stop and we say, God, I don't get this. But it's going to be amazing to watch you work it out. Along our journey of different churches and interacting with different people, like I said, we've met great people of faith. There was a couple that we knew in, a, in Currens, Texas, and I'm sure you have no idea where that is, but in Currens, Texas, there was a couple named George and Dixie Edwards. George and Dixie were, were older than us, uh, but not long before we got to Currens, Texas, uh, they woke up in the middle of the night to a phone call and their 17-year-old son was killed in a tragic car wreck. 
So we'd been there a while and we were getting to know them and people were telling us their story and we watched George and Dixie and they were just phenomenal believers and they, had, they were sold out for Jesus. I mean, whatever he wanted, whatever he needed, they were in, they were going. And so one time we just sat down with them and I said, look, you guys have been through a horrible, horrible thing. How'd you end up like this? Tears started welling up in their eyes. And George said, you know, that night was the worst night of our lives. And unless you've received that phone call, you cannot understand how horrible it is. It was awful. And he said, once the initial shock was done, Dixie and I sat down and we, we prayed together and we looked each other in the eye and we realized we had one of two choices. We could, like we've seen so many people do, run away from God. Or we could run to him. And we decided together that day we'd run to him. And we miss our son horribly and it's been awful but oh my goodness, they, God has used that event to impact people's lives. And I was like, those are people after God's own heart. That's what you do in the valley. You run to God. Let's pray.